and welcome to episode 94 of the dive down we're almost at 95 the big nine five nine five that's when they say you've really got your feet under you you've got your you know you got your process it's just a flow at that point 95 so you know once we get there this will be a lot easier i think yeah, I'll introduce you in a second. We are a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in Modern and Pioneer. My name is Stanislav, here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. 95. Nine, nine, I never thought we'd make it to 95, Stan. I have a, a, like a, a note here from like two years ago where I wrote down... 94 is going to be the last one. <laughs> well, it's just, it's still fun though. I mean, 94 is when a lot of shows have hung up the spurs, but I think, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep riding this, this horse along the Western Plains to, to get the gold. They say it's the curse of the nine four. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Curly's gold, legend of Curly's gold. Is that, is that city slickers too? It's uh, the curse of the Nuevo Cuatro. That came out in 1994, I think, um, and it was all downhill from there. You mean Billy Crystal's career? I think I think culture it oh. peaked, and now we're just in uh, the Nadir Nader Nadir. I think culture peaked with Space Jam. I was just watching the the episodes of the Last Dance that I have not seen yet. And it's in, it was the Space Jam episode. And they, the, surprisingly, I would have made like at least three episodes about Space Jam, but it was like less than one. I thought the Space Jam coverage was minimal at best. Bummer. Dave is out this week. Um, so we're just going to talk about Michael Jordan and Space Jam content. Yeah. I'm a Monstars man myself. Dave uh, sold all of his magic cards. We're very mad at him. Yeah. So we're, we're in a fight. Yeah. He was just like, I'm out. I'm going to be a Keystone. Keystone? Key Forge, Key Forge, Keystone is something else. That's a, I think they, I think that's they a do beer. like this. They do like the ice slab, like ice cream thing, right? Uh, no, that's Blue Bunny. Oh, okay. Keystone, Keystone Conery. Yeah, Dave said he doesn't like playing Bolt Snap Bolt decks anymore, so he doesn't care about his cards. And uh, he built a Star Realms cube. That's cool. There are other deck builders out there. Man, Stan, that's actually a good idea. We should do a bonus episode about other deck builders. What have we been thinking? It's so obvious. But on this week's episode, you've got just the two of us. Just the two of us. I've done this gag before. I think we'll make it if we try. We'll be talking you about. And I we'll be talking done about this gag before. Gonna interrupt my friend. Done this gag before. It's not the end. We'll be talking about recent events, as well as our recent playtesting experiences in Modern and Pioneer. And then we're going to have an extended wind down. We figured we'd make the most out of Dave's absence, and we invited the Dive Down Nation, the patrons, to ask some very personal yeah. and leading questions. <laughs> we, we knew we couldn't fill up the usual like hour 45, hour 50 with just, just us, because you know, like we, we usually end up taking you know, about what? A, 25 30 minutes each in like the the main part of the episode and like you know without dave i'm not i don't want to just spin my wheels so it's like hey let's just answer some questions he really does monopolize the conversation with his wisdom doesn't he my god he's so wise but no longer he sold it all yeah i feel like dad left us home alone and we get to go hog wild and 
And Man, I'm going to watch meatballs in the basement. Use the Schwartz, Shane. That's <laughs> that's that's Spaceballs. Oh. But don't worry, we're still going to feature everyone's favorite section, even in Dave's absence. It's housekeeping. All right. Stan, we have no new patrons this week, but it's okay, because, you know, everyone's so generous all the time. It's ridiculous. Uh, we appreciate all of our uh, the existing citizens of the nation, but if you'd like to join the Dive Down Nation, become a citizen, even a dollar a week, that's 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 the entry level. You get immediate access as soon as I see that email pop up to the super secret Slack server. We've we've had we've had a little bit of a love fest in there recently. People have been talking about how you know other areas of their magic communication. You know, sometimes Twitter gets a little strained. Sometimes other discords get a little argumentative. Uh, but I like to think that I, I I believe this. I said this is that the Slack is the best part of the podcast. It's what I'm most proud of. The content of the podcast, whatever. Having an awesome community of people to talk about things is even better. And and we finally we finally broke down and made the arcade, the video game channel. Yeah, that's right. So people are happy. You know, it's a it's an interesting point that the Slack is the best part because like the Slack is there when we're not recording or listening. Like it's just always live. I can always check in on the Slack at any time of day or night because we have some fans and friends from Europe who keep it alive like between midnight and, and 6 a.m., which I think is when Dave usually wakes up and starts moderating. Yeah. <laughs> I love when like the, you know, the European friends are like, good morning. We're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> 1130. I should be in bed. <laughs> um, yeah. But again, uh, check out patreon.com slash the dive down. All one word. You can see what we offer at different tiers. Uh, and again, thanks for all of to all of you who have already uh, joined. Yeah. Also, thanks to some new reviews this week from Vishar and Box Cutter and Spooky Mulder. Yeah, it's it's uh, I must missed you, Spooky Mulder. We we get all of our review like so. There's a site out there called Chartable, right? And it's cool for podcast people because you can kind of see you know where you are in various charts and like it kind of consolidates all of the reviews, even from like you know. Apple Podcast Germany, which for whatever reason we don't see and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, Spooky Boulders was on regular old Apple Podcast. I just happened to see it this week, and it wasn't on Chartable. I almost missed you. I'm glad we found you, Spooky Mulder. If you'd like to support the show while playing Magic, check out Manitraders.com. It's a service that lets you rent Magic online cards. And if you use coupon code the Dive Down, all one word, when you sign up, you'll get 15% off your first three months of a Magic or a Mana Traders subscription. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're telling me that you can rent Magic Online cards, Doc? <sighs> what happened to your voice? <laughs> the flux, flux, flux could pass a what? Magic Online cards? Shane is shocked to find out that Mana Traders is out there. Yeah. I've been bu- I've been buying them and selling them from private sellers. That's very time consuming. Yeah, you don't have to do that anymore. You can just use Mana Traders, you upload a deck, it sends you the cards, you play with them for however long you want. I accidentally kept a deck for an entire week. <laughs> Me too. Me too. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't do anything. They didn't say anything. And in the past they used to, but now Mana Traders is I guess wildly successful. They, they have, have every card in the universe. Many cards, so they don't mind if you hold on to it for a week. Don't don't take it from me. Maybe we've earned their good graces, but I doubt it. It's a great service. If you like playing Magic, Magic Online is like the best way to do it right now. 
in the COVID era, and Mana Traders makes it really easy to play basically any deck, play any card, and get better in the process. Stan, we've we've somehow made it through like nine minutes already. So I'm glad. Let's just let's keep this rolling. We got what an hour and a half or so. Yeah, we can do this. We can do this, my friend. I think we could do two hours without Dave. All right, I've always uh, said this. All right, let's, let's let's get into the breakdown. All right, so we're sharing the news desk this week. We're like the local news at nine. Where I'm Stan Sanders and you're Shane Boulders. Yeah, I'll do I'll do local news and you do sports and weather. I'll start. You know, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to make pioneer things still. So I focused on the latest pioneer challenge, and I want to go straight into the top eight because I think it's pretty telling. Um, in what the format is about right now, I think. Uh, it starts with Connor M426 with Lotus Combo. This is still the same great combo deck. Can play Dig Through Time. Uh, it, the only recent addition is Balaged Recovery. It's that green flippy spell land. It can answer as a tapped green source or be cast as a two energy return target card from graveyard to hand, which in a deck like this is pretty handy. Next up, uh, L1X0 with four color reclamation. You know, this is a deck that we have loved to fear recently. It uses a variety of shocks, triomes, fabled passage, basics to cast some of the most powerful mid range to control cards. Uh, things like Uro and Omnath, Fairy 3, Shark Typhoon. Of course, the goal is to take over the game and go crazy with the mana production of Wilderness Wreck. And, you know, the mana in this deck is apparently decent enough, even trying to go to four colors now, that it can still main deck three Anger of the Gods. And that's, you know, that spells one red red. And if they're trying to slow down aggressive decks, they're going to want to cast that on turn three, turn four at the latest if they can. And, you know, if they're able to reliably produce that, that's that's saying that four color mana is pr- pretty good even in Pioneer. Next up, third place, Ixidor's Dreams on Orzov Auras. This is pretty much the same deck that we know and potentially love. Bright Climb Pathway is in there now as a playset, along with the shocks and fast lands and pain lands we're used to seeing. Uh, just because, why not? So Bright Climb was interesting, an interesting addition because we already had this fast landed pioneer. So it's not like Orzov colors like necessarily needed a new dual land to keep up. Do you think, though, the addition of Bright Climb just makes this deck even stronger because mana is almost a non-issue from from now on? Yeah, I think one of the advantages, of course, in Modern is you can you have fetch lands, right? So even if you're running a three-color mana base, if you have something like a Scalding Tarn, that could find you one of any color of, of three mana. Even in Pioneer, we don't have that advantage. So even like a two-color deck, you know what, Stan? I don't think that metaphor even works. I think it's just so obvious that you're going to run this, right? It's like, you're just going to do it because it's like, it's such an easy land to run that it doesn't hurt at all. There's no pain involved. You're going to get one color that you need. And it's not like, uh, the, there's the black is a little bit less important than the white in this deck. Typically, I think so. It's just like, you know, let's, let's just run it. Like we can, I want to be able to have my selection early on. It's just like, Oh, uh, Basically a wild card basic land. It's like the exact <laughs> perfect free painless basic you need for whatever situation, at least when you play it. Yeah, it's just they're good. Um, it's it's weird that I don't feel like we've seen these too much in two color modern decks. 
yet. I don't think that we've seen them break into the modern decks very much. And I'm, I'm curious why. Like maybe just there's just an, enough with the fetch lands that, you know, you don't need to have pathways and basics, which is kind of what seems to fill up the space. But maybe we'll see them slowly break in. Fourth place, uh, Bautuina on Niv to Light. Uh, still Niv, still Lighten. Omnath is only a one of here, but I'm sure Omnath is still quite good in the deck. Uh, next up, fifth place, Trader 08111, again on Orzov Auras. Very slightly different build than their third place list. Uh, they're still running a few favorite Hoplite, largely the same idea. I actually didn't mention that, that Stone Coil Serpent seems to have snuck into this deck as an aura target. It's replacing things like favorite hoplite, like a Danto Vanguard, like a, a Femia, the Cacophony is no longer really in this deck anymore. And I think that, uh, you know, Stone Curl Serpent is just proven itself time and time again to be a really good pioneer creature yeah I, th- I think part of that has to do with the metagame too because that can just block niv for days that can block uro yep. omnath yep. like omnath. a lot of these big multicolor payoffs now can't really do much about the stone coil so even if yes. it's a one one those creatures don't have trample yeah they can't block it so it's uh it's really smart it's a it's a good pivot, I think, right now. When there's a little bit less removal, I think. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's a little bit less target removal. There's not a lot of mid-range decks out there. There's a lot of aggro decks hoping to sort of beat each other down more quickly. So I think it makes sense to run something like the Serpent. Back to sixth place. Uh, Bernard Oxa on Mono Black Aggro. This is Mono Black Aggro. Looks like mono black aggro, but an interesting thing I'm seeing in uh, all these mono black decks is that Bloodchief's Thirst is no longer in the deck, and it's back to kind of just running a single heartless act as the extra removal removal spell of choice. Only one of the seven mono black decks in the top 32 had Bloodchief's Thirst at all, so I'm kind of surprised to see it sort of quickly uh, fall out of favor. Um, and people don't seem to be really interested in testing it right now, and I'm surprised by that. I wonder if that might have something to do with just kind of the lack of prevalence of powerful, impactful, cheap Planeswalkers. I don't know. Like, I just think it's... I feel like this meta is very small creature-oriented right now, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, but I think that it would make sense to me that... Mono Black would want maybe a little bit more interaction, but maybe they're hoping to be able to sideboard into that a little bit more. But there's still, I don't see Blood Chief Thirst even in the sideboards very much. So like, you know, maybe it's a little bit more Heartless Axe or things like, you know, Legion's End or something like that. But I'm a little bit surprised. I'm curious to see if Blood Chief Thirst is sort of just gone from decks like this, or if it's sort of going to be, like you said, maybe it comes back into favor when planeswalkers are are more viable and more part of the meta remember eliminate no yes that was like the core 21 card that it's destroys a creature or a walker yeah that was popular briefly (laughs) yeah it's 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 kind of wild just like how many removal options are available in black especially in pioneer right now that fatal push still seems to be like the card of choice for some of these decks even though they have like so many awesome other options that are a little bit more modal as well probably because you need that just like that quick one mana but in in which case like heartless act is it offering enough modality by like occasionally removing like counters off something or just being like a simple 
no nonsense removal spell for a lot of the format. I don't know. We'll find out. I, I really am curious about Blood Chief Slurs just simply being so quickly shoved aside in mono black aggro by six of the seven pilots in the top 32 here. So maybe they know something that I don't. Seventh place, an honest thief on Lotus Combo. Same general idea as our winning deck, of course. Not too many varieties of ways to uh, build Lotus Combo, at least in my eyes, but I'm not even close to an expert on this deck. Eighth place, Juzam Jin. And I don't think this is kind of the the regular Juzam Jin. I think that that is a different player. This is sort of like an alternate spelling of the same player or the same the same card, I believe. Uh, Orzov Humans. This is a newer deck. It's been pushed to the forefront a bit recently by Ross Merriam, host of uh, Pioneer Cast, of course, and an all-around good player. It's one I actually wanted to test for this week. I didn't have time to. Uh, spoilers a little bit there. But what this really is is like a really aggressive white-based human sort of white weenie deck. And it splashes black for General Kudro and some number of dire tactics. This build only ran one, which is a little bit surprising again that they were just like, hey, I'm beaten down here. I don't really want a lot of main deck removal. And what Dire Tactics is, is that unconditional white-black instant exile spell if you control a human. So if you have a human, white-black, exile target creature. If you don't control a human, what you lose life for the CMC, something like that, I think is is correct. Um, But of course, in the sideboard, you're going to find more spells like Thoughtseize to fight the combo decks, Fatal Push for like the opposing creature decks, more Dire Tactics because why not? It's such a good card in a human shell like this. I think this is a potentially quite good hyper-aggressive white weenie deck that probably deserves a little bit more testing in the format. All right, going back a little bit to what I said earlier, let's look at this larger metagame of the top 32 and see what it says about the format. We have seven mono black aggro, Four Orzov Auras, three Lotus Combo, bunch of two ofs, Wilderness Wreck, Niv 2 Light, Naya Winota, four color Omneth, Jeskai Luka, Rakdos Pyromancer, and then a bunch of other little one ofs, right? So things that we aren't seeing are kind of like those oops all spells like I talked about last week. And a little bit surprising to me is no spirits. And so what does it say about the format? It's stuff I've kind of said before, which it sort of feels like you're either going fast or you're going pretty fast with disruption or you're trying to stabilize and go over the top. Hey Shane, remember mono red aggro or burn? <laughs> yeah. Those used yeah. to be pioneer decks too. Yeah. I'm it's, it's, it's wild. Maybe just the, the continued presence of, of Orzov auras just makes it really hard for red to succeed. And also like the, Maybe they can't close out games fast enough against things like Uro and Omnath. Yeah, that might be it. And like apparently Roiling Vortex just mm. probably not strong enough to like prevent that life gain occasionally since the deck like mono red can be somewhat mana hungry. Like it can be hard to like play a threat and hold up extra red mana to trigger your Roiling Vortex. Well, I have a little bit to say about that later. A little bit of a tease. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's just a variety of ways to do these same things, right? Like there's just ways to go fast and ways to sort of maybe disruptively go fast. And then there's ways to try to control the game and take over the end game. And there's various strengths and weaknesses of those strategies. I think there's strengths and weaknesses between those strategies as well. I think they sort of play out pretty similarly. 
and that's not one of my favorite aspects of the format right now. That got me to think, like, do you think that modern's actually different than this? Like, what do you, is there like something about modern? Hold on. What? Who's, is someone's I, calling I, in. I said, hold my calls. We don't even use Skype. Yahoy, ahoy. Hey. Who is this? Is this, is this the Star Realms dive down? The Star Down? <laughs> Dave, I unfriended you. What? <laughs> I unfriended you. Why? Because I heard through the Slack that you sold all your magic cards and ran our Star Realms, man. Hmm. I don't even know what that is, to be honest. Then why'd you buy all those cards? I just thought it would be a good speculation opportunity. I wanted to get it on the ground floor, like I did with Wyvern back in 1995. I got a box of Wyvern. Anybody want to open that on a on a, a VOD on my Twitch? I'm still trying to offload like these 300 Keyforge Series 1 decks. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, no, I didn't sell my cards. I had a work thing that I thought I had to do and then suddenly <sighs> did not have to do. I'm going to have to have some words with Joe. I'm going to I'm going to try this on the next episode. I'm just going to say guys, can't be on that episode. I got a work thing. I'm not going to do any preparation and then just and then just Skype in. We don't even use Skype. How'd you Skype in? He has a VPN tunnel, I think. It's the magic of the Star Realms, bro. Cool. Well, Dave, we're talking about Modern and Pioneer. Oh, I thought we might be. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show. If you have any insights, feel free to share them. Okay. So, Dave, the question I just asked Stan is, do you think that Modern... So, my, my, my claim is that Pioneer is sort of like fairly aggressive or fairly controlling right like you know the and the control decks have sort of a mid-range element and then they take over the end game i feel like modern doesn't have that necessarily i mean of course we of course i'm kind of ignoring the fact that two combo decks were in the top eight two two of the same combo decks but since they sort of excised out the combo meta and we are now just sort of hyper aggro and hyper mid-range control and i feel like modern doesn't have that same characteristic what is it about modern that makes it play differently? Or is it really not that different at all? Well, the question was for Stan. So I'm going to let Stan answer that dive down length question that we could we could have gotten as a, a Patreon submission. Hey, if you want to hear us do a whole episode on that question, $15 tier. Man, this guy just comes in. He just comes wow, in. Just ready promoting. to sell. Always be closing. Yeah. Shane, to answer your question for me, that's also for Dave. I think not only is modern kind of similar in regards of its like macro archetype identity, where it's like a particularly aggressive format right now. However, it is twice as diverse. And like, I think I counted nine different decks in the Pioneer Top 32. The modern showcase challenge I'll be talking about has 18 different decks. Mm-hmm. Whoa. That's exactly 100% more. I was going to say, that's science. You can't, that's just numbers. Um, I think that larger pool, more broken mechanics, better removal, make modern have pretty different character yeah, from yeah. Pioneer. And that's just kind of like where it starts and stops. There's more combos. There's more free mana spells. I mean, that's always, that's like the essential difference, right? I guess mine was a showcase challenge too. I apologize to all, all the people who made top eight that listen to this podcast and they were like, Shane, this is actually the showcase challenge. This is even better than a regular challenge. Well, if I had been here earlier, I would have pointed that out earlier. Anyway, let's roll that beautiful bean footage, Dan. Yeah, so first place in the October 4th challenge was Doomwake. At it again with Mardu Prowess. So as we know, Doomwake, largely credited with innovating this archetype at moment, has done a bunch of different events. The RBX Prowess archetype. 
in particular? Yeah, a bunch of people are working on it, but but Doomwake seems to have hit on some early success that people have kind of rallied around. Yeah, and at its core, it's just the red-black, like, prowess plus death shadows plus Scourge of the Skyclave package. But there are some innovations here in both the main deck and the sideboard. Yeah, the biggest difference here on this one is that we got a new one drop that people have decided is good enough to be in this deck, and that is Bomat Courier. Yeah, people are, I think I saw on the, on the Twitterverse, people were very amped. They were like, yeah, it just works great. Why don't we think of this? Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that we're trading in our kind of aggressive Soulscar finishes, but, um, you know, Bomat Courier's cool. Drawing extra cards is cool. It's nice to have another threat that can come back with Luris and maybe draw you some cards late in the game. That's that's another move you can do with it. So it seems like an interesting piece of tech. As Stan mentioned, I did no prep this week, so I've really only been consuming magic via Twitter, the good parts of Twitter this week anyway. I haven't got a chance to try this out myself, but I would like to. I mean, I, a lot of people have been down on Soulscar Mage, and I, I think it's still really good, plenty good. But, um, you know, if we're trying to get a little grindier and a little less aggro, maybe this is a good spot to change. Yeah, I think Soulscar, great card, but kind of fails on two fronts for this deck. On the one hand, it doesn't have haste. And on the other hand, that wither effect, I don't think is super relevant right now. Yeah. And like Bomat, not only does it have haste, but I think the repeatable card advantage engine that you might be able to generate to like produce some inevitability and draw extra cards kind of gives it the the added benefit, at least over the weekend. Because as we're about to see, every top eight red-black deck had Bomat Couriers. It's like they got a memo. And the white, the reason this is Mardu, for some reason, is uh, there's three Path to Exiles in the side and uh, three copies of Wear and Tear as well. And I was thinking about Path, why you would have that instead of just like your classic Fatal Push or maybe you know, Thirst of the Blood Chief, for example. And I wonder if it's just because of Uro, like Uro being this ongoing threat that gains life, potentially killing your Scourge of the Skyclaves while just kind of existing, makes it really important to answer that as quickly as possible for some of these red-black decks. Yeah, I mean, I think so. The other big thing to note here is that one of the main deck, other main deck cards that's out of favor right now with um, Soulscar Mage going is Lava Dart. People don't seem to be running Lava Dart at moment either. So, in second place, we got Fejat Fayhat. I don't know if it's a soft J. Fayet with Green White Titan. So, we talked about this deck a little bit in the past, and it had kind of come up as like this Green White Titan deck that was also running Aether Vials. No more Aether Vials here. And instead, it's a little bit more toolboxy. I suppose it always was, but we have more toolbox just kind of options now so we have two copies of skyclave apparition we got a copy of archon of Amiria, remnant excavator tireless tracker knight of autumn uh, but otherwise this just is like titan field in a new shell because you still have your four primeval titans you still have your four dried evolution grove and then just like a bunch of cards to activate valakit a bunch of lands i think i was running 31 lands i still haven't played against this deck i haven't like seen its ceiling Weird deck, keep being weird, is kind of how I feel about this one right now. I have not played against it either. Haven't gotten around to trying it. Maybe we should put it on the list. You know, we haven't we haven't retreaded uh, Primordial Titan in 85 episodes. Maybe it's something to think about. It's not the best timed thing, but... Third placed Moyashi 0904 on four-color Uro Pile. This is everything but black. So we have two Omnaths main... 
I noticed that, at least in this top 32, the Uro piles were the only decks running Cryptic Command currently. There was no Azorius control in the top 32, which kind of just leads me to believe that, like, Uro is, again, the best shell for a blue-based control package in Modern. At least if you want to play, like, Force of Negations and Cryptic Commands, you probably want to find a way to incorporate an Uro strategy in that. Fourth place, another copy of Red Black Prowess. It's just Red Black, no paths here, but we are seeing Bomat. These decks are also playing Unearth again, um, as well as a couple of Seal of Fire, which had fallen out of favor. This week they're back in, it's just the two of. You gotta grind. Just the two of us. Yeah. When I like we were gonna be in the beginning. When I played this deck last week for Sleep Believe Eve, there was one seal and one unearth. And uh, so we're still kind of similar, but they're up on seal now. I think that's what took over one of the lava dart slots. The other thing seems to be mutagenic growth. A third mutagenic growth, I think, was not there last week when I was playing. And also three-team battle rage in BMJ's deck. It's worth noting, BMJ, well-known shadow aficionado, Ben Jones. I noticed this particular list had uh, several Kuzlex return and I wonder if that's just because, like, humans is such a problem. Uh, and they have, like, Oriok champions. And Kozlex Return is just a really effective way to get around Oriok and deal with humans for a deck that can be a little vulnerable to it. Since, you know, in the last week, humans was one of the most, pop- like, the second most popular deck in the format. Mm-hmm. And then also two Angrath's Rampage, which I think is still an underplayed card in modern and in a field full of like Uro piles, which are playing like three or four or more planeswalkers, Angrass Rampage is like a really great way to both answer any planeswalker, basically, if they have one on the board, that can also just be a removal spell situationally. I think it also has one other line of text, and I literally don't remember what it is. Sacrifice an <laughs> artifact is the oh, other yeah. one. Which is is nice. You know, I mean you get a lot of play against uh, artifacts because these decks always run some quantity, or I guess I can't say always run, usually run some quantity of Colian's Command as well. But Angrath's Rampage is also helpful if someone drops a random ensnaring bridge on you or something like that. True. Fifth place, another red-black prowess by Audio336. This version had two main deck Kroxa. Good card. No. I've also noticed that all of them have some number of Cleansing Wildfire in the side, and... There isn't a ton of Tron happening right now, so is that just a hedge against Oops All Spells? Because I don't think it's like as crazy good against E-Tron as it would be against regular Tron. I think it's good against a number of different decks. You know, as we, we talked about even, it's it's kind of good even against Ponza. You know, if someone's going to go all in on on dropping Utopia Sprawl, you want to have access to, to uh, a way to attack that ramp. I, I think it's just worthwhile against a lot of different places. Plus, it draws you a card, so like, why not? Sixth place, Starfall with Mono Red Prowess. This is the Obosh version. Back again. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, nothing particularly unusual in this version. Uh, four copies of Flame Slash main. Not exactly sure what that's for. If it's like just humans or, I don't know, maybe like, what's that blue Prowess bird that made, is it Blitz a deck? Storm, Stormwing Entity missing are we are we ready to put stormwing entity's picture on the side of a milk carton yet because it's been it's been a while since that we've seen that one around uh 
Don't say goodbye yet. Okay. Yeah, they were around. They call that a tease. Uh, I think it's for uh, any number of different things. I mean, it helps with early, you know, it helps with early Tarmogoyfs. It helps with early Scourges occasionally. Well, that's the thing that I wonder, like, is it actually good against Scourge or Death Shadow? Because I think usually they're pretty good about, like, getting bigger than four. Yeah, I mean, you do have Soul Scar Mage in this deck still. So speaking of what we said was not that useful, you can shrink down kind of big creatures with this deck at least. So... Uh, I think that does help a little bit. Seventh place, True Hero with four-color Uro, except this version is playing black, so there's no Omnaths. And a main deck, Fire Spout. Someone actually cast a Fire Spout against me. I did a league with uh, Prowess over the during the week, and uh, it just like wiped my board of all of my little ones and twos. Probably great against humans as well, especially if you're just like running it game one. Mm-hmm. And they haven't cited an Oriox yet? Stanislav on the ones and twos. That's exactly what I was just thinking. <laughs> Stand on the ones and twos. No, I have been playing my guitar more than ever. Yeah, I just, I've just, this deck has just picked up this card for some reason. And so it seems like a really good kind of wrath of choice to just have it access to a different style of sweeper. I wonder if there's like some other random obvious application for Fire Spout that we're not acknowledging. Or if it's just like the same old sweeper effect, just like one that Meddling Mage doesn't know to name. Meddling Mage skipped that day in school. And finally, in eighth place, Parrot on Mono White Taxes. Practically the list I talked about last week. So Parrot confirmed fan of the pod. Uh, Main deck looks pretty stock, though the sideboard had some curveballs like by my standards. We had three Avon Mind Sensors. So like some extra lean and Arbiter effects. We had a Gideon ally of Zendikar, maybe for like grindier Uro matchups. Mm-hmm. A couple of Mirren Crusader, which I think is just to like block Primeval Titans. Uh, and Death Shadow. And Death Shadow. Fair. Yeah, and Scourge. I mean, the, the problem with that is that they can bolt it, but, yeah, you know, I'm sure that's what it's for. You have one of Leonin Relic Warden, either for the mirror, maybe like to... S- snag an aether vial out of humans or other stone blade targets i just don't see that card a lot so it's like maybe it's just universally good enough in a certain metagame uh and then i also parrot went on to win the next day's the sunday modern challenge with this deck yes killing it my goodness yeah i just saw parrot talking on twitter and i was like hey stan stan's deck the, the deck stan likes not stan's deck but the stan the deck stan likes yeah white best color in modern confirmed so one honorable mention, I wanted to shout out Aphilodon, who came in 32nd, the last deck in the results, with mono green hardened scales. They also appeared in the last few 5-0 modern dumps with this deck, which just like said to me, they've been grinding, innovating, trying to hone their skills with hardened scales and modern again. And the reason this deck kind of tickled me is, is that it looks like a very genuine evolution of some of those old modular affinity lists. Because it's got like eight XX constructs between Hanger Back and Walking Ballista. You have your Arcbound Ravagers, Arcbound Workers, Animation Modules, and three Scrap Heap Recombiners. Which, truth be told, I don't recall if that made it into Hardened Scales before Opal got banned. But it is a lesser known Modern Horizon card that you can sack artifacts, including itself, uh, since it has Modular 2. And if you sack it... You can tutor up other constructs. And then it's got four copies of Ozlith main. So I just bring it up to say 
if you like hardened scales and it's not doing it for you in Pioneer, maybe this deck is still fringe playable and modern. Maybe it's more than fringe playable if we got more players and minds innovating it. We'll see. Yeah. Worth mentioning for fun that Spider Space came in 13th in this. Well, well-known streamer, probably also on taxes. Let me check right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's taxes. <laughs> and, and then Juzan Jin was also, came in 15th in this, the person that Shane mentioned from the other tournaments. Canister was in this tournament. This was, there were a lot of people in this one again. Yeah, as I mentioned, there were 18 different decks. The most popular with five copies was Rakdos Shadow. And that does include like the Mardu version that came in first. But overall, like with the exception of the five copies of Shadow, it didn't feel like there was one deck that kind of like took over the tournament. Um, Mono White, Is It Blitz, Humans, Uro all had three copies. Uh, white, Green, Titan, and Mono Red Aggro had two copies and then there's like a bunch of one-ofs including like belcher and oops all spells and uh ponza and grixis death shadow and burn like very diverse but if you start to look at kind of like these macro archetypes and break them down by like aggro mid-range control and combo aggro is everywhere of the 32 18 of these decks were very aggressive builds uh mid-range was seven control with five and combo with two and that was just like one Belcher and one Oops All Spells. 56% aggro field. Hmm. That's, I think that's a condition that we would usually assume can eventually be hated out. Agree or disagree? I mean, it's it's surprising that that much aggro is existing there when like, you know, we, we pretend we're living like in sort of a, an Uro and Omnath world, but apparently not enough to to really shore up all the hate or excuse me really to shore up the against the aggro matchups provide enough hate i mean yeah i guess gaining three life or gaining four life and drawing a card isn't enough of a disincentive to stop the red black shadow train that's going on right now um people seem to like the deck it's still popular for people to talk about on twitter people are innovating on it obviously and a lot of good players are, are picking it up even people who I think are a little more kind of Grixis-y than they were like Jundi Shadow people. But, you know, that whole cabal are people who just love to play with Death Shadow. And so there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of people who just go wherever the archetype is the best. Just seems good right now. I mean, the thing that we have seen in the past, I imagine we'll continue to see, is that a lot of people are playing modern. A lot of people are liking modern. And there's continual innovation and a dynamic metagame. And I think that's a consequence of, of people continuing to play. And I think that's one of the reasons that I think we see a somewhat static Pioneer metagame is that there's many fewer people playing because I think that people want to be able to p- use the larger card pool, play the spells that they have sentiment for. And it's just, you know, you can do more in Modern than you can in Pioneer simply because get a lot more cards right and so i think we'll see things change is what i'm getting at i think that people have the tools to fight anything that becomes too large a segment of the metagame uh versus i don't feel like anything has to, nothing feels like it needs to be banned right now i think is what feels really good right like no one's saying like oh man this Rakdos death shadow no one's gonna beat that agreed i honestly i think like this is the type of metagame that junt players would love to see like you can just pick off all of the Rakdos Shadows creatures with like your fatal pushes and abrupt decays and just like go ham. Then they get stomped by four color Uro. Yeah. And that's the circle of life, baby. Yeah. Yeah. 
noted deck from last week's Mana Traders tournament that came in at a 50.1 win percentage. Jund. Jund. The most Jundy win percentage of all time. But maybe. Maybe it's time for, for more mid-range. All right. We're not going to be talking about any mid-range in the dive down. Maybe we are. We'll see. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we return, we're going to do part 1.5 of Sleeve Believe Heave. It's a casual SBH. We tested some cards. We tried out some new decks that caught our attention. And we're going to talk about them. I was supposed to grade these things? Oh, my gosh, Dan. You know I can't help but whip out my red marker, Shane. <laughs> okay, stay with us. Dan, I got to say, I'm still hopeful for Pioneer. And what do you say to me about it? Oh, I forgot you're here too, Dave. Why, Shane? <laughs> I, listen, I don't want to poo-poo Pioneer, but what is it about the format that keeps you hopeful? I think that there's a lot of stuff people aren't playing right now. I think like I think that people just aren't focused on it. There's not a lot of reason to, right? Like if you play Magic online, you're probably going to get more eyes on your stream. You're probably going to get you know more dynamic matchups, a slightly larger pool of decks to play against in Modern versus Pioneer. But I think that sort of becomes then a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is like, hey, um, I'm going to take an, an interesting new deck into the Modern League. I'm not going to go into the Pioneer League with something new because I'm going to face you know the same players over and over again or something like that. But I think that there are opportunities in Pioneer. As soon as anything competitive happens in Pioneer, I think the format's ready to get blown wide open, like, you know, larger competitive than like a weekend challenge or something like that. No offense to those. Those are extremely competitive events. I still, and you know, I, I think, I still think winning primarily on the battlefield is pretty fun. And so, uh, and pioneers is, is lends itself to that a little bit more than modern. Sometimes I think right now modern doesn't feel much like a, you know, broken combo deck format. I think people are winning on the battlefield. I think just a little bit more quickly, perhaps than in pioneer. So what I did this week, I looked at some of the decks that are existing sort of on the edges of the format players that I respect have been promoting these decks. And then one deck that I wanted to test, but haven't had the chance to play just yet until this week. So let's start with uh, gruel aggro. And this of course has always been an appealing aggro deck, right? It's just seemed a little bit outside the power level of the rest of the format. And there have been a number of reasons for that. I think that the, the builds are still inconsistent and they haven't been refined by like this regular community of, of players that keep, you know, keep grinding with it. I think the relative power level of like going fast and being aggressive versus the rest of the field has been up and down. And then of course I may have mentioned this, the allied gruel mana base of pioneer. Can I also mention something I know about Shane? He has a history with gruel aggro decks in magic at, like last week I was like, Shane, you're known for three decks. I wonder if this is actually like the fourth deck that I know you for. <laughs> it's definitely like the first deck that it's, it's a deck that got me into magic pretty hard. It's like what oh, I latched on to in standard, like con standard. I played a lot of gruel um, and had some success with it. It was pretty fun. And it's definitely been something in the back of my mind. Should we tell the story? <laughs> Let's just, we can just cut to a question. Should we tell the story about gruel aggro yes so the first tournament <laughs> one of the first tournaments that shane ever went to that was like not an fnm 
We went to a PPTQ together, which is a preliminary preliminary Pro Tour qualifier, which then got you to the regional pro, the regional Pro Tour qualifier. I will keep this short, but Shane ended up top fouring yeah. this tournament. It was like his first competitive tournament he ever went to with Green Red Monsters, and he was playing against another podcast host that many people might know <laughs> by the name of Andrew Beckstrom. A much better player than me. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't quite as amazing as he. I mean, he he was one of the top. He was one of the players invited to be in the MPL. Yes. Yeah. And so he's. Yeah. He was no slouch even then, though. Yeah. So this is 2015. He'd already been on Pro Tour. Anyway, Shane's in the top four playing against him. First time he's ever played against a pro player or anything like that. And Shane had him on the ropes and then cast a Storm Breath dragon in his second main phase yeah that, that, that creature has haste and then said go <laughs> and that was the end of shane <laughs> yeah there's uh, there's a lot of misplays in that semifinal. i was definitely tilting a little bit um just in nerve nerve tilt yeah what do you expect first time to get that far that's tough did you win that tournament or did you lose in the quarters oh no i lost to Bextrum. he lost badly. immediately uh, after that happened that was it that was the nail yeah the end the end yeah, so yes, Dan, I do like rule decks, and so I was excited to test this one out again. Um, the release of the Pathway Lands, of course, makes the allied mana bases and Pioneer instantly improved. Um, I don't think they're quite on par with the full suite of options that the enemy colors have, but the allied decks, the ones that got Pathways at least, in Zendikar Rising, are a lot better, and people are checking them out again. And with the Pathways, of course, Gruul has been popping back up, a variety of builds have been showing up. Even the first Pioneer Challenge that had Zendikar Rising cards, it, it was it won. It took first place. Uh, High-level uh, Magic Online Grinder, uh, Sandy Dog MTG, who's uh, known as Brandon Burton, a great aggressive player. He went 5-0 with it in a preliminary. The decks appeared in, I think, every recent league, every recent challenge, every recent prelim. There's been a Gruul deck that's shown up in the results. Uh, Ton Anderson, of course, has been writing a little bit about Gruul decks and Pioneer. I ran one of his recent lists through some Pioneer matches on Magic Online. What's interesting about Anderson's list, of course, is that it's not as low to the ground as some of these Gruul lists that are doing like a Burning Tree Emissary uh, into Galia of the Endless Dance and so on. It's it's sort of like a more chonky Gruul list. And all it's really using green for is eight mana elves. Domri, Anarch of Bolas, and some powerful sideboard card options in you know, Scavenging Ooze. You're always going to play a Scavenging Ooze. Lovestruck Beast, uh, great against aggressive creature decks for just being a big blocker, uh, and Cindervines. But otherwise, this list looks a lot like his old Chonky Red decks that they you know tops out with a Fuse Chandra 4 and a playset, of course, of Glory B, the chonkiest of chonkers. So the game plan here, of course, stick a mana dork, ramp into a turn two Goblin Rebel Master or Legion War Boss. I may have done that dozens of times in Khan's era standard. Right. So it, it takes me back home. You apply some pressure, you remove threats with like your wild slashes, your stomps from your Bone Crusher Giant, you know, your Chandra 4, finish anything that remains on the battlefield with Glory Binger uh, exerting itself. So yeah, it's that's what the deck is kind of all about. Nothing too fancy here. So you've got your eight elves and you have your eight rabble masters. Are are you mulliganing toward like the turn two rabble master play? Is that kind of what you always hope to see in your opening hand? I mean, I prefer to see that. And the the math is there that that's going to happen a lot. Of course, a lot of the times you're going to lose your elf to a fatal push or a shock effect or something like that, right? But then that's one less 
to stop your like turn three goblin army in a can type creature. I will say that going first is a lot better than being on the draw. Being on the play is a lot better than being on the draw with this deck. Newsflash. Yeah, crazy, if you can believe it. It's even good with control decks, but... <laughs> so I think the, the odds are there, Stan. I don't know if it's something that you necessarily mulligan for, because even, even having like a turn to Domri is pretty rad, because it starts your ramp engine. Um, you know, it's it's it's... There's a lot of good turn three options in the deck, and I think that there's more than even uh, are available that that could be playing. Like you could lower the curve of this deck, like if you wanted like a, a whole lot of turn three options. It's nice just to kind of have it, um, just have the ramp in a variety of formats. Like you have your eight elves, you have your Domri, and then you're playing towards big turn four or big turn three plays. One more question. There was this period, a really unfortunate period in Pioneer's history where Glorybringer was unplayable because by the time you cast it, your opponent was winning with a Thalia or Thassa's Oracle trigger. How does Glorybringer feel now on the on, in the games you cast it? Like, is it worth the slot? Mm. I thought it felt really solid. Like when I cast it, um, I was probably either, either like winning the game with the damage in the air or removing a problem creature. Uh, simultaneously like you know either i was getting their life total low or i was swinging in and removing like a spell queller or an omnath or a spawn of mayhem or whatever you know what i mean so like there's there's a lot of three to four toughness creatures that Glorybringer interacts pretty well with if you need to exert it and otherwise it's just attacking in the air to kind of get the last bit of damage in if you need to i think the deck feels really solid right like the gruel mana finally feels good um i'd still be hesitant to try to run things like triple green steel leaf or like triple red goblin chain whirler or something like that like the deck runs a pretty light splash of green honestly but you still really want to be able to have a turn one source for your mana elves so i think that i'm happy to to report that gruel mana is i think there at least in pioneer thanks to the pathway specifically oh yeah yeah 100%. Hundred percent. I also really like Domri quite a bit, honestly. Uh, I think his his static turns like my mana dorks into semi legitimate threats. It's it sped the clock up by making all the goblin tokens like two ones. It provided ramp and fixing, like if you really needed it. Uh, it could even be like a reusable removal spell at times. So I really think Domri works well with the deck, and I'm you know it's 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 a good reason to be in Gruel. Uh, simply because it's something that you, you know, it's, you can never run this in mono red, but you probably always would want to if you could. Yeah, something that stood out to me about the list you were playing was that it had relatively few even CMC cards main. And it just made me wonder whether you could eventually like cut your four mana Chandra's uh, and maybe like your one of Shatter Skull Smashing to play Obosh. It doesn't necessarily pump up your... Um, your tokens off all of your goblins because those are even cmc but it makes the goblins like rabble master itself like crazy strong cooperates nicely with uh three mana domri and like even makes your dorks fight a little harder i mean i think that's a cool idea i think that i feel like that obosh is perhaps better in decks with more burn reach because then you're just like doming people with your your finishing burn spells like super hard versus having to win on the ground like this deck mostly does because it only, it doesn't really have a lot of burn it has sort of interaction with wild slash interaction with your bone crusher giant being stomp um i think what it's really trying to do is is 
provide enough targets for removal that something eventually sticks, like whether it's a rabble master or a war boss or like a glory bringer or something like that and, and finish with it. But yeah, I mean, I think you also would have to lose like some of your powerful sideboard pieces. Like scavenging news is just so valuable. Right. And you can't run that. Yeah. And cinder vines too, I noticed, but yeah, I mean, that's not, I don't think that's like a deal breaker type card. It does. I mean, cinder vines is one of those cards that like makes you not lose to, to like a Lotus field type deck though. Right. So yeah. Yeah, you'd have to make some some concessions. And Chandra is just really good. I mean, it's really it's hard to say no to Chandra Four. She is she's a very powerful planeswalker. Yeah, say yes to Chandra Four. <laughs> say yes to the dress. Yeah. All right, Shane, on the spot, sleeve, believe, heave, go. Oh, um, I mean, it does, it seems as good as any other aggressive deck in in Pioneer, right? Like, it's like, how do you pick between these? If you track your stats and, and you're like, okay, I'm a 53% with this deck and it's something that you like playing, then yeah, do it. Just give me a word. Sleeve. Sleeve it. You think this could take down a like a Pioneer Challenge? It already did. It'll do it again. I don't know about the chunky one versus the more aggressive one. I think that remains to be seen. Okay. Shane, you played multiple decks. Let's. You got another red deck here in Pioneer. I do. Where did you get all this time? Can I have some of your time? <laughs> <laughs> uh p sully's been championing this one this is boros wizards featuring luris i have a little bit less to say about this because honestly this is like it's like a just a standard luris burn deck it just it's a it's it's got Giti lava runner monastery swift spear soul scar eidolon vashiano pyromancer vashiano viashino viashino thank you thank you canonically viashino <laughs> yeah like that's one of my favorite locations in the multiverse in dominaria yeah Interestingly, a singleton wayward guide beast, uh, I think right now for funsies, for testing, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that, I think. Um, the burn's what you expect, right? It's got Wizards Lightning, all the other good burny stuff that, you know, the best you can run in Pioneer at least. Singleton Needle Verge Pathway here, right? Like you could run more and you would if you weren't running for Chain to the Rocks because you want to keep your mountains. If if Chained gets cut, he says that he'd just run, be running the full playset of Needle Verge Pathways. Note that there's only 10 mountains in this deck. That's part of why there's only four Sacred Foundries and six mountains. So it is tough to go below that if you want to get Chained to work a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the neat thing about Needle Verge is like, or at least this deck in general, unless you're trying to get Luris online, you really only need one white source for your Boros Charms and then everything else can be red. I mean, but you are trying to get your Luris online. Is that a big part of plan A? Oh, I would say so. I mean, it's part of your reach. Do you know I mean like along with your burn, getting back even like a, a Pyromancer is is too damaged. Getting back a uh, Swift Spear or a Gitu Lava Runner can be just game ending damage. It's, if you're running them out of removal or something like that. It's always good to try to get value out of the Luris, of course, right? Like we talked about is you don't just want to get that Luris down as soon as possible. And honestly, playing Luris feels so much slower now. Like playing a companion is like, yeah, holy crap. This was, this was three mana once, like just insane. Yeah. Like even doubling the cost, it's still worth running essentially. Yeah. Like I was saying last week in modern, it's become where it's, it's tougher to run Luris in decks that are trying to be fast, but in pioneer, I think you have a, a little bit more time for sure. So, I mean, the deck's like what you expect. It, like it, it's plenty fast. It has burn reach it, instead of a go wide strategy. 
I generally prefer burn reach in a lot of my decks because it lets you worry a little bit less about sweepers and it lets you worry a little bit less about having multi-creature synergy. And you'd notice that's kind of a complaint of mine in other decks where it's like, well, yeah, I needed to have this survive in order to like do this. Or like if, if my creature got removed, then my entire strategy was sort of disrupted. And in a mono red deck, it's like, sure, you want to get a decent amount of damage out of all your cards. But if you lose a soul scar mage or you lose a swift spear, then it's like, well, it's not the end of the, it's not the end of your game plan by any means. We need to talk, please. I'm dying to hear your thoughts on the wayward guide beast, a divisive card when it was first spoiled. Wayward is very cool. Okay. I think it could end up being more than a one of, but I don't know how many. Because here's what here's what's cool. Like it can generate mana for you in a land light deck. Like you tap the land, you do something. Like you cast a a hasty swift spear, you cast a hasty Gitu Lava Runner. You know, you get the you get your damage in, you trigger the, the combat damage thing where you have to pick the land up, you play it in your second main and do something else with that mana. So it's like it actually gives you a little bit of mana advantage in a deck where you're not necessarily making a lot of uh, land drops. Cool card. You do not want this card early, obviously, right? So that's the balance. It's like, well, is this better than whatever that dude is, the legendary uh, con from... Uh, Zergo Bellstriker? Zergo, yeah. Is, is it better than Zergo is kind of the question. And that's what we're testing right now, I think. That's what people are wanting to find out. Or at least P. Sully wants to find out. And I think it's really cool. Like, I think it's a good way to to get more mana out of doing what you want to be doing, which is attacking. Okay. Okay. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief. Another question. How prevalent is life gain in Pioneer? I, I noticed this deck has four Roiling Vortex in the side. Like, how frequently do you actually have to side it in? I think Roiling is like, okay, if someone has an unexpected life gain card, then you could bring that in maybe like game three. But I think it's really there for like the Uro or Omnath type opponents where it's like, okay, they might get to a point where they're hoping that they're going to be generating continual life gain by doing this. And all I have to do is stick this early and then keep up a single red mana. And I think that that is pretty easy to do. And they don't really have a lot of great ways to be to be gaining life and stopping you from like executing your game plan ultimately, I think. I think like so like I think Rolling Vortex is pretty darn good. Um I didn't really have a chance to even cast it too often like against like I mean there was like an Euro deck where it's like okay well maybe I can get this down. Didn't you know you don't even draw it type thing. I didn't face down Omnath decks. I I don't to answer your question. I I I did see some sideboard cards that were designed to gain some life, but it's not like people are having absorb in their sideboard you know, in like five color Niv decks or like having other life gain focused cards right now, which is a bit surprising because the format does seem to be fairly aggressive. But I think they're trying to combat that with things like Anger of the Gods or, you know, other sweepers that five color Niv gives access to or or the four color decks and things like that. So I think it's like, I think it's not that scary to face on life gain. The, the life gain that I probably would be most afraid of is like the, the Orzhov Oris decks, right? Because they just can get such a huge lifelinker where it's like, well, how do I deal with this? Hopefully, Rolling Vortex. Pioneer doesn't really see a lot of Blessed Alliance or Life Goes On. Mm-mm. Life Goes On, I can't even, I cannot even name the, the any of the text on that card. It sounds like you just made it up. On Life Goes On, it's one mana gain seven. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. From, from Ant-Man Get Block. Can I ask you another question? 
I, I'd love it. Is 10 mountains enough to get chained to the rocks online? That's, that seems a little conservative. You know what I did? I went to, I went to Stat Trek. I went to the hypergeometric. <laughs> Dave is like, oh, yeah, rubbing his hands. Like if you want, I think what you really want Chain to the Rocks for is like something like an Earl or an Omnath or like a Niv, something that like, you know, you want to get rid of turn three, turn four ish. And you have like an 85 to 90% chance to have a mountain by that turn. So I'm comfortable with those odds. And the choice, the choice would be right. Like, am I shaving down that Needle Verge pathway to have one more mountain type thing? And I think the math is pretty good on that use case. You know, earlier it is tougher, right? Like if you're saying like, I want to have a turn two chain to the rocks, you know, then that's not as good and your odds are a little bit worse. But I think you're not trying to use a chain to the rocks on something like that. You're trying to use like maybe a burn spell or or just attacking through and and making them block or eat four damage off of like a prowess up swift sphere or something like that. And I guess you do have light up the stage, so your deck has some velocity. Yeah. I mean, yeah. See, light up the stage is sweet. Yeah. I actually like light up the stage in this deck a little bit more than some other decks that run it because you can get, you frequently can get in more damage pre-combat, which I like. Like uh, having pre-combat damage is really important for light up the stage because then it's also like two prowess triggers, which is good. And also a way to like get two cards in your graveyard for an early G2 lava runner, like haste and damage bonus. So I think it's nice in that fashion. I, I always love a deck that a lot that I don't feel like I'm continually casting light up the stage post combat. Did you guys know that light up the stage is on the list? Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I find that amusing. Yeah, but so this deck, I mean, again, it's like it's I just wanted to like sort of talk about another aggressive deck, but I don't have anything interesting to say about it. Like it's like another aggressive red deck. It's the closest you can get to playing modern burn um, or modern prowess, perhaps like in pioneer. Shane talks for 10 minutes about a deck and then says he doesn't have anything interesting to say about <laughs> it. It's good. <laughs> All right. Sleeve, believe heave sleeve minus sleeve minus. Okay. I mean, if it was, if it was as good as, as, so there's two options here, right? Like one is that it's a deck that Patrick Sullivan is like, Hey, I'm winning 70% of my games, but I'm also like one of the better red mages <laughs> that I know Ever. of. Right. And the other option is it's not as good as he thinks it is. Right. And so like I, I would probably lean towards the fact that maybe people are sleeping on it because there's not as many if like, you know, it's like it's one of the, again, one of those self self fulfilling prophecies where it's like I'm not seeing it, so I'm not going to play it. Yeah. And then like people like people like Peace they can be like, yeah, I'm going four one every league and farming tickets. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a little bit of each. Like I like playing the style of deck a lot. Like this is in my wheelhouse. Um, it's my kind of way to begin and end a game, uh, and I will likely play it again. So it's a sleeve. It's a sleeve minus um, potentially just a sleeve. But I'm I'm I've talked so much, Stan. I want to hear what you were play testing this week. I, I wonder if I could spend as much time talking about one deck as you spent on two. I know you can. <laughs> so I played modern, my favorite format, and I played Just Guy Fires, but it's not that Just Guy Fires. Oh no. This is Jeskai Wildfires. This is a, a deck wow. that friend of the show, well-known streamer, unofficial fourth host, pro tour playing Everett Mohan, aka Aspiring Spike, published this list to his Twitter account last week. It's just like Jeskai Tempo. Yeah, and to be clear, I played a Jeskai Wildfires deck 
for uh, one of our first episodes where we talked about Zendikar Rising, but that was Control. Mm-hmm. And this deck is different in what ways, Stan? Yeah, this is not a Control deck. This is a proactive, like, Stoneforge, Jeskai Burn deck, practically. So much so that it has one super surprising card in it that we don't see a lot these days, and that is... You're going to save it for later? Are you talking about Cleansing Wildfire? No. I'm talking about a different <laughs> card with fire in the title that you don't see all that much these days in modern. Oh, are you talking about Tribal Flames? I am talking about Tribal Flames. Well, that was that was really clean, guys. <laughs> <laughs> are you picking up what I'm putting down? No. <laughs> Not even a little bit. I meant to say Tribal Flames when I said Cleansing Wildfire, but I was looking at the deck list and I think my brain neurons got crossed or fried. I've been eating so much cheese lately. It can't be good for me. Right. Okay, so in the spirit of like a sleeve believe heave mentality, what are the new cards here that I'm actually testing? This had two Seagate Stormcaller, one of my call-outs from Zendikar Rising. After hating on it, Everett's running it out, huh? Or testing it, at least. Testing it, at least. It's got a little mini combo in this deck, which I'll get get to in a minute. Deck also featured, as I mentioned, four copies of Cleansing Wildfire. And running it back from last week, just apparently I haven't had enough of it, Singleton Maul of the Skyclave. Should we do our our fan-favorite beloved Sky Maul bit? Favorite things to shop while we're on a plane? Yeah, we got to innovate. We can't do the same the same bits every week. Okay, so what's the plan here? What's this deck trying to do? Because it's not a pile. And I think this deck is trying to basically answer or, or ask a handful of very specific questions. One, how do you get the most value off of Cleansing Wildfire plus Flagstones of Trocare? That's a combo. It nets you extra mana. It cantrips. What's the best thing we can do with that interaction? Question two, What's the best spell to copy off of a C against Stormcaller? Like, if you're just going to get, like, a free spell off of that, what do you want to get off of that? Oh, Stan, I might, I might, be, I might be stealing some tech here. What, what do you think about Lightning Bolt plus CK Stormcaller? It does the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll say it's good, but it's not as good as Tribal Flames off of a Seagate Storm, Stormcaller, I would guess but whoa we'll see that's ambitious we'll see about that i i would say that lightning bolt it's neither the best nor the worst card to copy with it um but it's it's good enough it'll finish the job like when you literally need to bolt snap bolt someone and you and you don't have the snap but you got the storm that's a good combo too bolts uh, bolt snap bolt yeah write that down it's on my knuckles remember (laughs) finally the last question that I think this deck is trying to answer, what's the best creature to attach Sky Maul to? Mm. Last week, we thought maybe it's uh, Flicker Wisp. This week, we're, we're, we got a new suggestion to try out. A new old friend I'm seeing in this list. Okay. So in practice, you know, I asked, like, what's the plan here? I think the deck is combining Beatdown with Burn. So it's kind of a tempo strategy, but all of your like removal spells have a really effective fail state where they can just go to face if you need them to. Or you can get blockers out of the way if they're like small blockers that can be bolted. And then in the context of my three questions, I think what's the best way to get value off of Flagstone's combo is not only does it ramp you, not only does it sometimes fix your mana, but it can actually get you up to five colors of mana. And then what are you doing with those five colors that you're also using your Stormcaller for is Tribal Flames. It's a removal spell that sometimes goes to face. And if you have all five colors of mana and four mana up and you do Stormcaller into Tribal Flames, that's 10 damage. 
That's a big swing. Ten, ten damage. That's half your life total. Ten. Hold on. This is this is a Jeskai deck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's, it's five color Jeskai. So here's here's the tax chain. Yeah. You hit your flagstones to trocare care with with cleansing wildfire, and you get Indatha Triome, which is Abzan, which is the Abzan Triland. That is too cute by half. Uh huh. And then finally, what's the best creature to attach Sky Maul to? You know what? It might be Geist of St. Traft. That sounds amazing to me, at, now that you mention it. <laughs> hey, it was. <laughs> isn't that like isn't that like an Innistrad limited thing or is like the unblockable Not unblockable, just hexproof. No, don't no, oh. don't bring up Phantom Fan, Phantom Menace Axe thing. Uh with the with the cleaver that like attached to humans to get lifelink. Yeah, that was that was not cool, Innistrad Limited. Not cool. Yeah, so Stan, there's like there was a combo. It's basically just like a just like limited jank where it's like, oh yeah, I got this like hexproof unblockable type thing and i would put a put a good piece of equipment on it and win yeah very interactive yeah sounds fun beloved limited format you know i played jeskai in the past dave you have too i'd I'd welcome like any of your insights here because one of the things that i was wondering when i was playing this deck is how it actually compares to previous versions of either like jeskai control or jeskai tempo strategies um and the first one that i think is really significant is this has no main deck counter magic no remand, no cryptics, no mana leaks, nothing like that. It's a very proactive main deck. Likewise, no path to exile. In the 75, all of your all of your removal spells are burn spells. Well, not totally true. It has Celestial Purge at the side, which is helpful in the red-black prowess matchup, I imagine, and also has the benefit of grabbing some planeswalkers and other problematic permanents too. But yeah. And it knocks out Blood Moon, I think is actually like one of the the best things about it. Uh, I mean, look, decks like this, like you said, they're kind of like Bernie. It's like a Bernie tempo deck more than more than it is a deck that's going to benefit from reactive spells. And so that's why you end up with it's kind of like the whole thing with blue red prowess where you ended up with some sideboard cards that were with some counter spells in the sideboard to come in for problematic matchups and surprise people a little bit. But I think that's kind of like the same space that a deck like this also occupies except for the benefit is that this deck gets to run stoneforge which lets you have a a mid-game plan that you can do stuff with as well yeah if if mid-game is turn three right which which it is in modern i think you yeah. can make that argument exactly um the the one other thing that i want to point out that's going on in this version of jeskai you know older modern players will remember when jeskai control was tier one and was running like four celestial colonnade mm-hmm this has very fast mana. Um, with the exception of the two triomes, which you almost never want in your opening hand, everything here comes in untapped. And I think the reason is, like, you don't want any tempo loss. You're actually trying to kill your opponent as quickly as possible. And though this deck doesn't threaten, like, turn three or turn four kills, I don't think you can line that up at all. You are trying to, like, get that turn four inevitability where your opponent really has to like hail mary to come back because you're beating down for like eight damage with your geist with your suited up geist or you're doing upwards of 10 burn damage with your stormcaller tribal flames combo mm-hmm. speaking of skymall i think the the idea here is the conclusion at least i came to is that skymall makes geist of saint traft good again wow i never thought i would be so happy to hear that right yeah what, 
I don't remember the last time it was like actually good. It's all play. It was. It used to be like modern playable, but it, Innistrad standard. Maybe I'm not even sure that most people would say it was ever excellent in modern. Yeah, it, it was always kind of like dirtily because blocking a two-two hexproof is not hard in a format full of Tarmogoyfs or Death Shadows. Like sometimes it would be three mana to deal four. Um, and with Sky Mall. Ah, this Geist is like practically unkillable. Um, and it's like a real threat that if you don't have like an edict effect to maybe get it off the board, it's just like not being removed. Um, so I thought that was really impressive. Awesome. Likewise, compared to the deck I played last week, which was also a Stoneblade variant, and it actually had the exact same Stoneforge package, Fire and Ice, Sky Maul, and Batterskull. In that deck... I found grabbing Fire and Ice or Battle Skull was really important because either Battle Skull was like your best win condition or Fire and Ice would like help you get through your deck while also like sometimes picking off problem permanence. Whereas here, if you have Geist in hand or not, I found it was often the case that Sky Maul was the best fetch target for my Stoneforge. That's a big shift. Huge shift. Like last week you were like, I don't even know if this belongs in the deck, right? Yeah. But now it's just like doing its thing really well because you have, in some cases, other forms of card advantage. Because because my my whole take last week was like, how how are you making up for the potential advantage you're losing by cutting like Feast and Famine or, you know, even Light and Shadow, which I think is like kind of good and modern right now because of how popular white decks are. And here, like all you really want to do is beat down and Sky Maul is almost always giving your threat evasion in a way that like SoFi or Feast and Famine kind of aren't as reliable. So in this case, like even if you don't have St. Traft in your hand, but you have turn two Stoneforge and you're not expecting removal, a turn three playing a, a land, tapping out for the Sky Maul and just like starting to do three damage every turn with your Stoneforge, like that actually starts to count when every other card in your deck is also like doing at least three damage. So now you have like a very real clock with your stone forge when it used to be just kind of like this enabler that then sat around to chump block or try to cheat in an extra equipment here and there. Yeah. I mean, it's basically a squire once you're, once you run out of stuff to do with it. So that that's awesome to hear that it's a worthy target. This deck looks sweet. This deck was so fun. I would love to play. I'm going to have to play this. This was my first time playing the Cleansing Wildfire Flagstones combo. So I was really curious how that would play out. Yeah, what do you think about that? I don't want to sound like I disliked it, but it kind of felt good, not great. And I didn't I didn't really feel like it was always a great reason to like tap out on turn two to just like ramp. And especially in a format like modern where like sometimes my prowess opponent was like threatening a turn three kill. And like spending turn two just to like get an extra resource down that then I would still need to like maybe dirtle around for a little bit. Didn't always feel like the best way to spend my my turn or my resources, but it still like does good work here and there. Like it helps set up tribal flames. Like sometimes you can turn it around on your opponents, but there's like no Tron around. So I found that I, at least I didn't have enough matchups where it was actually like meaningful to spend it on my opponent's lands i'd rather just like find a way to use it to fix my mana because i like drew an extra basic or something it makes sense yeah i mean i think that i i found that this you know not being having a lot of ramp targets 
in this, the way that the control deck did does make me feel like cleansing wildfire plus trocare on yourself might be a little less effective. You know, the the deck that I was playing was trying to get to cryptic command or trying to get to, to fairy five, and so those are those are nice things to have happen if you're if you're setting that up with it. I mean, I do think it's a great fail state for a card that has really high ceiling. Still, is that hey, I get to run this. It doesn't have a huge cost to run this combo, and occasionally I get two cards off of it or sometimes my opponent I ding my opponent and they really hurt from it because you know this card is still pretty good against you know it may not be good against red black shadow but it's pretty good against like you know Grix's shadow it's pretty good against other things so I don't know it's not it's not just for big mana decks I don't think I think it can be good just to like hurt people who are being having greedy mana bases but I mean did you ever go Seagate Stormcaller cleansing wildfire not on myself. I meant on, on opponents. No, and I did play against Titan like three times in, in my testing, but that actually felt like a pretty abysmal matchup. Anyway, you slice it. And also like, so you have to natty draw your flagstones. You can't fetch it. Right. So like sometimes it's it's just kind of hard to even like pull off that combo. You kind of, you get into like the two card combo issue. Yeah. And like there was enough games where flagstones tap play another flagstones was like basically all i needed instead so in conclusion like it's effective but i don't know if it's like a must-have main deck card when you might be able to just like play a boros charm or like another burn spell instead or another draw spell instead so yeah that combo was fine i'm not convinced that it's a main main deck mainstay but I can see how you can like get a crazy ceiling off of it, especially if you have tribal flames in hand. Like that's when you kind of feel like you're getting a like a three or four card combo, which coupled with everything else in your deck, Seagate into Tribal Flames will win a lot. You you're full of burn spells, you're full of like evasive creatures. It'll do the trick. Now getting it online, again, can be a little troublesome. You're only like you have your four tribal wildfires to draw and you have your four serum visions but like i don't know i didn't feel like this deck was so full of velocity that i was like drawing more than 15 cards in a game yep all right the last big one hit us with it stormcaller yeah yeah we gotta know about stormcaller you know i kind of loved it as a two of like i actually thought it may be the perfect amount um it really helps the deck go the extra mile when you need it to just kind of close it out you know, I mentioned that like Bolt was neither the best nor the worst card to fetch to to double up with it. My favorite card to double up with it, other than Tribal Flames, was Lightning Helix because you're draw you're gaining six life, and this mana base can be painful. You're you're full of fetch lands, and you're trying to play them all untapped, so you start to do a ton of damage to yourself. But the double Helix was enough that I went undefeated against both Burn and Mono Red Prowess across like three matchups. I love gaining life. Just like six life is so much. And then that buys me enough time to eventually like get a batter skull online. So I was really impressed with like that two card combo. And then tribal flames was just the cherry on top. If, if I could actually pull it off. So what do you think about like the mid to long-term prospects of the card of Stormcaller? Yeah. I think it's going to have like some fringe playability in a deck that wants to cast a lot of proactive spells. Like it's just not a reactive card. You, you don't it doesn't have flash like you never really want it in a deck that's like full of counter magic unless you're siding it out to replace counter magic which might feel a little counterintuitive in in a blue x deck you know when we were talking about this card i kind of said that like it could help snapcaster mage be a more proactive creature and i sort of saw that in practice here whereas like 
using this, playing a Stormcaller, and then casting Snapcaster Mage, and then flashing back something out of the graveyard still doubles up the flashback spell. So you have like a handful of random weird corner case utilities where I really felt like Stormcaller, when I drew it, I was happy to draw it, but it wasn't so busted or like impactful on my games that I felt like, ooh, I need to draw my Stormcaller here to actually like get out of a sticky situation. So let's hear the bottom line. I made Shane rate his decks. Let's hear how you rate your decks. I'll give this a belief. I think kind of working against it is the fact that it's basically just eight different cute combo packages that are all (laughs) designed to get the job done. But it's just like cute combo dot deck masquerading as a proactive tempo burn strategy. Yeah, it's like it's like a deck that Spike loves to play. Like it's like sort of Jeskai, sort of controlling, sort of like funny card interactions. Hey, it's the deck that Spike and Dave and Stan like to play. So like this is the type of deck that I would play in a league, go two, three, and then tell (laughs) everyone how fantastic it is and how much fun (laughs) I had. You know what I mean? Like this might be, I think right now in this current like modern season perhaps the best bolt snap bolt deck that i'm kind of seeing around (sighs) like blue moon's not really getting the job done i don't really see bolt snap bolt in like any other packages come up that often but here you have like enough things to kind of go over your opponents to have a proactive strategy with like a lot of powerful cards that have modality like lightning bolt is destroy a creature or go to face and having like fail states on your removal spells that you can also like occasionally double up the effectiveness of those spells makes this feel like a deck that can play modern but i don't think this is the deck that's going to start top eighting or winning modern challenges in the near future unless we get a lot of minds on it to like find ways to innovate it i'm glad you liked it stan um I, I want to get to the, the wind down because we have a lot of good listener questions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 45 seconds on the third deck I played because it was also a deck that I loved playing and I was surprised, a little bit surprised how much I did and it's Rakdos Sacrifice featuring Luris in Pioneer. I have been sleeping on this deck and I think a lot of people are sleeping on this deck. It's a lot like the old Mardu Power Master decks in Modern. You just basically have a lot of removal, a lot of recursion, both for your spells and your creatures. And you just seek to generate a board state that you have the final thing or things and take over the end game. You get to play with four village rights, which is the card I was most hyped on from uh, uh, 21. And I love it in this deck. You get so much value off it, uh, whether you're stopping removal on like, a, or like eliminate making removal less valuable against your creatures, popping elemental tokens, sacrificing Kroxa to it with the escape trigger on the stack got to do this like all this stuff is like you just do it it's just part of the game plan you get to play claim to fame like another card that like people were like i think this card might be broken and like it feels kind of broken in this deck or just feels very powerful at least you get to generate you have a lot of decisions to make and you generate a lot of value with your cards and that feels really good and it was really fun. I think Kroxa, I underrated Kroxa, I think, at least. I mean, I think underrated Kroxa in Pioneer, at least. Kroxa's great. Uh, this deck is a lot of fun. Um, you get to think a lot, and you get to use your cards in a lot of different ways. And I think that's very cool. I'm so glad you played this deck. I played it a few times, too. And I also loved it. Like, if I was at the point where I got to play Pioneer consistently, like, let's say Paper Magic was still a thing and I could play it. Oh, heck yeah. This would be, yeah. This would be the deck I'd want to play all day. Yes. I cannot wait to sleeve this up and play it, like, hopefully sometime in the the future. Did you know, like, 
there's a very, very close historic deck to this. Yeah, I think I'm, I probably should look at that, honestly. The hard part is like getting all the wild cards to actually build it, but like it's, it's I never spend wilds, I never spend them. So you can probably build it because like, let's do it. A lot of this is historic legal, including claim to fame. Oh man, okay. You just, you just, man. Dave, have you ever played this deck by chance? No, but it's definitely the next thing I want to do in in Pioneer, which I say all the time, but I this is on my this is what I would like to do. I, I want a good deck that has a lot of croaks in it, and uh so where we're at. I, I actually I am sorry, I want to ask one more question about this deck, Shane, because you you've now played it a little more than I have. Were you ever ever able to like set up a game state like on turns four or onward where you were just like casting croaks out of the yard every turn with your Luris and just like grinding out your opponent that way? No, um, I did. I did claim back a Kroxa for the trigger and then like gave something else haste. Or maybe I like claimed Kroxa, cast Kroxa, gave it haste with fame. Like it's like a great way to use like this deck functions on light mana and a ton of mana. Yeah. Like you always have something to do with your mana if you want to, which I love. Like it's like it's like mono black aggro or like, you know, back in the day, at least where like flooding didn't feel bad. Because you always have something to do with your mana. And I love that aspect of it. Okay. Love it. Guys, let's get out of here. Let's get into the wind down. Yeah, let's answer some questions. Stay with us. And we're back. So, you know, earlier this week, we didn't think Dave was going to be here. Uh, so we asked the, the nation to send us questions so we could fill out time. Dave's here. And you know what, Dave? I will personally invite you to contribute to some of these answers. Oh, great! I'm I'm kind of I'm actually glad. I was going to feel bad that Dave missed a chance to do kind of like a little mini letter, like mailbag type thing. So I'm glad he's here. Glad you're here, Dave. Hey, me too. Glad things worked out. I will be the MC of this section. And so the first question that we have from the Grantis Mantis: What is the origin story of the dive down? How did you all meet and what made you decide to make a podcast? Now, we've told this a couple of times, but, you know, the details are receding into the mist. They really have. So what's the 2020 version of the How We Met story? What was our meet cute? I, I, I think I can handle this one. And then you guys. Stan can... was in our grade school class. <laughs> he was. <laughs> I was like a fetus in your class. It's true. Um, all right, here, I'll, I'll try to share the story and then you guys can cor- make any corrections that I got wrong. You you two have known each other since like kindergarten. Yeah, second second, second and, and third, third grade. grade. Yeah, we were in a weird hippie split class. And you're both ten years older than I am. I met you through some mutual friends in Chicago uh, that I met just like playing Magic in the LGSs. But then you know we were in this group chat together, and you know especially Shane and I, maybe Dave too. We like I know Dave liked Magic podcasts, but Shane and I have a lot of creative ambition, and we were just like kept talking about like. We should do a podcast because yeah. we're talking about magic all day anyway. We clearly have like a lot to say and we sort of understand the medium. We could do it. And for months, I want to say for months before we kicked it off, I had this idea to have a magic show called The Dive Down. <laughs> but that yeah. that was like the end of my idea. I was just like, this is a great name for a podcast. We'll, we'll let marketing figure out the rest. Yeah. So I, I got to the point. Where I was just like, I'm. We got to do this. Well, let's call it the dive down. Let's grab. I don't really remember. I think I just I grabbed people who I thought like would be interested. I grabbed Stan and Zach, and I think it was just this was at a bar, so it might be some maybe some beer thinking was involved here. And um, 
you know, Dave was, of course, like always just, Dave was a passive invite. I don't even think mm-hmm. he was in the room. I don't remember how, like how we picked the host. Dave was like, you look, you know, I need to be involved in this. We're like, yeah, of course. Well, I, I had done a year of a podcast already, a fantasy football podcast. And so. Oh yeah. I was worried you might be too busy with the kids and stuff. Yeah. And so we had, we were having drinks at a bar one night. We were playing magic and you guys were talking about it. I was like, look, I'll come on it sometimes <laughs> and I'll help you guys like get started and like I could be helpful because I've done podcasts, so I know like what it takes to get one out there and like do the art and so help help us like work that out. And then if you look at the subjects of the first episode, I had been playing a ton of of Is It Phoenix at that time that we decided to do that first episode. And also we had this epic group chat where we talked about Thought Scour. The first episode is about Thought Scour, and we talked about Thought Scour and did all this discussion about how it's not it's not hurting you to thought scour yourself, like all these things. And so this kind of stripe of like, Hey, we want to try to like explain things from our perspective and try to fill in a gap between some of the pro players that don't talk about really basic concepts. And uh, the fact that we're like not good magic players who are trying to figure it out ourselves is sort of like what the kernel of the actual editorial voice of the content ultimately came from. And then this idea of let's pick up a deck and try to figure out how to do it ourselves was an extension of that. And that's where the actual dive down sections came from. So it was kind of, it was pretty organic in that way, but it's worked out nicely. So J seeds asks us who taught you how to play magic in the very first place. How wrong did you slash they have it? Now, the funny thing about this question is that is this a plant J seeds is the person who I learned to play magic with in the very first place (laughs) when we were 14 years old in between freshman and sophomore year of high school. So J seeds is a guy that, that Shane and I have known forever and um, was in fact, the first person who I played magic with. And we learned magic from the revised rule book that came in the starter decks. And also by asking questions on Usenet. And the first few games, we had it very wrong, <laughs> but including thinking that uh, creatures did not like get their toughness back at the end of a turn and things oh, like, like that. So Hearthstone. So, yeah, it was kind of Hearthstone. You, so you did use like little beads on them. I, we tried and then we were like, wait, this isn't even in the rules. <laughs> so there, that's the irony of that question. But Shane, Stan, what's your answers here? Hold on. <laughs> you guys know J seats? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Ha- I had no idea that what, that was a, patron from your youths yeah i've known him since like high school so jonathan is his name i hope i didn't just dox him he went to middle school with me and shane high school we went to college together he was my roommate oh, yeah. in college yeah. yeah uh we are all we all studied graphic design together uh yeah so yeah, a lot of overlap um i actually don't remember who taught me to play magic i like i went to like this card like it was really a sports card store and people were playing like, like in like 95 and I just sort of like fell into it. And I don't like, you know, someone there must've taught me and I don't remember what I had. Well, here's what I hear. How wrong did I have it? I had it very wrong. Cause my decks were terrible. I think like the rules, I think I understood. I had no idea how to value anything. I, you know what I mean? Like I had no idea how to value certain creatures or certain cards or spells or land bases or anything like that. So, I mean, I had it very wrong. I also had it very wrong because I sold all my stuff like after the summer of 95. I don't think I had anything of value, but I should have kept playing my entire life. Yeah. Don't start with me about selling stuff in 95. We'll say that for a different questions. <laughs> Stan? I So I learned twice, right? Like I learned when I was in seventh grade, uh, a, a dude who lived down the street from me named Devin Sherman taught me. Thanks, Devin. Thanks, Devin. He was like the first 
true punk dude I ever met. Uh, and then he and I remained friendly in, in high school. Um, by then I was more punk as well. Still am really. Um, I don't think we got the rules that wrong, to be honest, because I carried that into high school when I was like, my high school had a magic, the gathering club that I was eventually bullied out of because, you know, sometimes magic players are not very inviting or inclusive. So I gave it up for like a decade, but then I repicked it up with my buddy, Nathan, and he and I kind of like taught each other. So yeah, I think we had a pretty good aptitude from the beginning. I don't ever remember caring about mana burn though. So maybe I was doing some things wrong or maybe it just never came up. It's a hard thing to care about. There weren't a lot of times where it came up, which is why they got rid of it. Next question from Jason. What is your favorite sound? So he is trying to go James Lipton on us here with this one. <laughs> Stan, why don't we start with you? It's so hard to pick one. Can I cheat and just like what? rapid fire a handful? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the sounds my cat makes like uh, yeah, that's a good w- one. when he makes like a little chirp because he's like jumping from the floor to the bed. Go. Oh. Sounds like a little pigeon. That's a good one. I love the the clack clack of a really good keyboard. That's a satisfying sound. Mm-hmm. Are you a cherry cherry red, cherry black? No. Orphan black? <laughs> no. No. What else? Uh, Sounds like you have like a laundry list. You know, there's like ambient piano music that I really like. Those are some good sounds. Did anything come into your head? Your favorite sound? Like I, this was a hard one for me. These questions were for you guys. Oh, okay. From the listeners, if you remember. Um. You know what? You know what sound I love and hate is my coffee grinder. It's extremely loud, uh, but I know what that means. It means I'm about to make some delicious, roll that beautiful bean bean juice into the cup. I I do love. I mean, this is like so, so generic, like like frying up onions. It's like it's like the most generic. That's like oh, like you're cooking something that smells great. It's like yeah. Also, like it sounds great because I know like again, I love cooking onions. They're so good. Yeah, that's true. This isn't a song about music, but there's this there's this one, or this isn't a question about music, but there's this one song that's on Spotify called Dance PM by Hiroshi Yomi, Yoshimuro, which is just like this very ambient, chill piano melody. But it's not like one of my favorite songs, but somehow this one piece of music is one of my favorite sounds because it's just like so soothing and peaceful and kind of catchy. Check it out. Uh, one of my favorite sounds is the sound of silence because I am the father of two small children. And so when I am in my house and everybody's asleep and I just finished five Oh and another league, not really. Um, <laughs> and it's silence in my house. I like that quite a bit. Silence is rewarding. Okay. Next up. Brain. I just remembered one. <laughs> okay. So you know how I just got married and I'm wearing like, a wedding band for the first time. I don't wear oh, yeah, rings. Cl- that clacks on stuff now. Yeah, like it clacks on stuff. And it's fun. I kind of love that sound. It 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 fills me fills me with some warm fuzzies. Yeah, I um this is like a sentimental side note. Um I used to ride motorcycles, right? And I would of course always wear gear, which is why I'm still alive after being in two motorcycle accidents. Um and part of the gear is our gloves. Every time I would remove my gloves, I would always check for the wedding ring on my finger and I miss doing that because it was always like, I, I remember that. Yeah, I am married and I don't want to lose my ring and it's always there. And it's kind of fun. That's my sentimental story. It's a nice moment. I'm going to put it in my next short story. Um, it's a good set piece. Yeah, exactly. Lou asks, what if any other formats are the, 
are the three of you exploring? What do you like and dislike about them in contrast to modern? Now, Lou said two of you, but I'm going to add you, Dave. Yeah. Well, I added myself. Sorry, Lou. Hope you don't mind. Are you exploring other formats? Should we be exploring? Should we be exploring historic? I would. I would note that I am not, uh, because I am just keeping up with modern and occasionally thinking about pioneer. <laughs> historic is third on my list, but uh, I haven't gotten to it. Probably won't for a while. So, Stan, Stan, you went mythic and historic a few months ago. Have you been doing any standard or historic on arena? Or are you taking an arena break like I am recently? I haven't touched arena since I got back from my honeymoon. And part of that is because, like, I just don't want to rediscover historic with the addition of Zendikar Rising. Also, limited time. Like, I, I play other games. I just don't play other magic formats right now. Though, I would. And like standard is the tournament for the Mana Traders series in October. Yeah. I'll probably try to jam like some standard games on MTGO when that happens, just because I like that tournament series. But I can't say that I'm like really exploring or trying to understand other other formats. Yeah, I'd say the thing that all of us are exploring other than outside of magic, outside of Pioneer and Modern is like Slay the Spire, Hades. Um I was doing another uh, sort of adventure roguelike um, called Children of Morta. Uh, I really like I like the compartmentalization of rogue rogue style games, like where you're just like I'm going to do this run. It might take 20 minutes. It might take an hour, but like that's the the individual nugget of game, and I don't have to like remember the story when I come back. I don't have to remember. Oh, like where was I in Final Fantasy 17 again? Like, what's going on in The Witcher? What are you doing, witch man? Toss a coin to your witcher. Oh, valley of plenty. I know you you guys have been doing the Slay the Spire on the Switch. Oh, I play it on PC now, too. Yeah. Ooh, this guy grinds. I doubled up. Do they have, does, does they have cross saves? No. <sighs> That's kind of a bummer. I mean, honestly, what I've been doing is it all of quarantine is three things for recreation. It's been... Four, I guess. I did I did uh, Animal Crossing for a while. I did Magic. I've been playing a lot of Magic. I've been playing Slay the Spire a lot, and I've been playing poker. Like that's that's what I do when I am not uh when I'm not working, basically, or taking care of my children or cooking. So I'm also trying to explore the gym again. That's what I'm trying to do. The the climbing gym is dead um in the mornings. And so uh, I am going to the climbing gym and there's like 15 people in there and the space is the size of a large industrial warehouse. So I feel, I feel very safe. There's the most uh, hand sanitizer I've ever seen in a single place. Like it's like literally like five within eye shot of every location you are in the gym. It's pretty good. I like it. I'm trying to explore that. That's the format, my body, <laughs> the format of my 40 year old body. <laughs> All right. So we touched on another question we got from a Patreon there about non-magic hobbies as well. Stan, do you have anything to throw in about non-magic hobbies right now while we're talking about it? Or oh yeah, Kyle, Kyle, sorry, Kyle for... asked that, but we we sort of we sort of merged them. Um. So the reason I got Slay for the PC was because my co-hosts have been trying to encourage me to start streaming that game because I'm not bad at it. Yeah, and it'd be nice to have like uh, your perspective. You know, like especially through like a, maybe a magic lens, man, I, I really love slay the spire. Like yeah. if I, if I didn't have magic, which is a love, I would just like play slay the spire nonstop. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to start streaming it. I'm trying to like get a couple other things going in terms of, uh, slave videos. And then, and then I have some ideas on how I can start doing it more regularly on Twitch. Cause it's like, it's actually the most fun I have playing a card game other than magic right now. No Sweet. other card game has ever like 
struck me so profoundly. And we've also been talking about doing a bonus app on Slay the Spire. Should. Because we get to do what we want on bonus apps. And it seemed like it would be fun. We all like it. Shane doesn't get it, but I'm very I'm I'm terrible at it. Like I really want to learn like from from you. I want to teach you, bro. I want to take you under my little wing. Um also a new Runeterra expansion is coming back out, which uh, I'm excited about. What's it called? Uh Shane might play again because he got bored with like the small small set expansion that recently came out onia that's what it's called it's a weird name i i know that is an an unexpected but catchy name next from jason what was your most memorable halloween costume uh i went as shane of the dead instead of sean of the dead i i made i made a i made a cricket bat out of like cardboard and i and some kind of stick type thing that was annoying to carry around all evening i went to a party Shane of the Dead. That's what I remember because that's the one I put the most effort into. I'm actually not a huge uh, Halloween fan. And so it's not like a sentimental thing for me, but I did put some effort into that one. We know how much you like fun. So yeah, yeah. medium. Um, believe minus. A few years ago, my now wife and I went as Calvin and Hobbes where she had like oh, kind of short-ish oh, blonde hair at the time. Picture. And I got a Hobbes costume. So that came out really well. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen that picture. That's cute though. It's on my Insta. I'm pretty sure. What is on that? On the gram? Yeah, on the gram. Also, one time, so in 2012, there's this Bob Marley documentary that like made the circuits at all the art house theaters, and it was awesome. And after I, while I was watching it, I had like this realization that uh, like Patois slash the Jamaican accent, if you squint your ears, sounds a little bit like Transylvanian. So I decided the following Halloween to be a Rastafari vampire. Uh, and, that sounds culturally insensitive, Stan. Hmm. You know, it, it, I can understand why I'd be on the bubble, but I think I executed it beautifully because <laughs> people looked at me and total strangers would be like, are you a Rastafari vampire? And then I'd say like, yeah, I suck at your blood, man. And I was the hit, hit of the party. <laughs> well, yeah, what about you? I don't know if I can follow that. Um, <laughs> God, I don't think I have many. I mean, the one that stands out to me the most because it turned out the best was one time I wasn't going to go out for Halloween and my friend's girlfriend, my roommate at the time, his girlfriend at the time showed up at our house and said, put on this costume. And it was a skin tight nylon Batman suit, like Adam West Batman suit (laughs) that I just like put on. And, and <laughs> I have a beard, you know, I have like a pretty big beard and I had a big beard then. And so I had this just Batman mask on with this beard sticking out of it. <laughs> and I just kept walking around going with a cans of old style being like, Batman's had a tough day today. <laughs> Do you have photos of this costume? I'm oh. dying to see that. Yeah, I probably, it's, it's like, this is like 15 years ago. So. Oh man. Dave, I do I do want to uh, give a shout out to your wife who makes amazing Halloween costumes for your children. It's true. Those are the most memorable for me. Yeah, me too. She did make wild, where the wild things are for us one time where we she was Max oh, yeah. and I was the big orange one. That that was very good too. Oh, yeah, that was great. Uh, we're in negotiations for what our children are going to be this year right now. <laughs> I want to be a Diplodocus. It's going to be the first time they're not dinosaurs. <gasps> first time. I want to be a Brontodon. All right. We heard Lou asked, what is the biggest misplay you've ever made? What were the stakes and how often do you think about it? We, we covered Shane's earlier. Go back to uh, when we talked about Andrew Beckstrom, if you want to hear about that from Shane. I've got a new one, though, honestly. You I do? Think about it, I think about it like every day. 
Okay. It's okay. It was, I was, I would, I went, it was the last match of day one of the, of the GP Phoenix, which is the first pioneer GP. Um, so it was technically day two because that was the last match of day one. And, uh, I missed two, uh, Ferocidon triggers that would have won me the game. I, I think about it constantly. I think so. I would have gone into day two, I think eight, one or something like that. Something like something. I would have like, yeah, it would have been a lot better. I think a lot about the last round that we played at GP Indianapolis, Shane, when we were, oh, yeah. we oh, were yeah. you know, on the bubble. It was our win and in for day two. And like my Did deck we had been. I don't know. You didn't. I'm almost positive you didn't. But I, I constantly sit there and think about the way that I played my red black pirates versus uh, blue green merfolk match that did not go great. I misplayed, but I still squeaked out the win because I had a pretty good Merfolk deck. Well, I also was like Activator Razka or whatever, like the one that gave flying and double double power and toughness. I was like, this is how you get it flipped and do it. Because I got to help. We got to do once I lost, we got to do two brains or better than one on the guy that you were playing against. Oh, yeah, that does help. Stan. GP Denver. We were all there. I was X2 in the MCQ that we played that Sunday. I'm on Is It Phoenix. I was up against humans. It was game three. I cleared my opponent's board. They had nothing but non-basics. And rather than playing the blood moon in my hand, I decided to cast a thing in the ice. And then Ah. they unloaded their hand and ran me over. And I I actually think about that constantly. Yeah, I remember that. I had had the win and I I blew it. (sighs) Sucks to suck. Kyle asks for our last question. What are the favorite LGSs you've been to in any city? The favorite places you've traveled for GPs? Because Kyle misses playing in paper. Besides your father's store, Dave. I was going to say Compendium Collectibles, Rocky River, Ohio, approximately 1995 to 2006. Check us out if you ever get in Bill and Ted's time machine. 11 years. That's a good run. I really like the, the there's a Portland game store and it's really large. Is it called Armada or something like that? That sounds right. What, what's it's um, Guardian Games? Okay. So Guardian is is huge. They there's people of all ages there playing. They have like uh, Pokemon and a really good singles collection. They have an adults only area where there's like a bar and you can game there. Um, there's a good vibe. It's got a good feel. It feels you know, open and accepting. And I think that that's an awesome LGS. Um, I also really like my LGS here in Denver. I think uh, mythic games is awesome. They've got good, good owners, good employees, a uh, good crowd of people. So I'd always suggest that if you come into town, Stan to Clarvin, my favorite <laughs> place to play in Amsterdam. I've played there multiple times now, like across several different visits to Amsterdam. The players are awesome. It's a board game bar. So, uh, and they have a basement for their magic tournaments like I did some modern, I did a modern FNM there. I did a pre-release for Throne of Eldraine when that came out in January. I did a Pioneer FNM there once. Like basically all the good formats. Um, I miss Amsterdam so much. I should have stayed. I never should have come back. <laughs> Things really went downhill after you came back from Amsterdam, didn't they? <laughs> really did. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, it's a tough one for me. So I am going to stick with the answer of the store that my father had. That's uh, I played. <laughs> With, I mean, I respect and like the stores in Chicago a lot. I just don't get to go out a lot. So shout out to Dice Dojo for fighting the good fight. It's not an easy business. So I like that store for patronizing magic in Chicago. But uh, 
yeah, I got a warm place in my heart for the uh, place that I spent my teen years. So, you know, maybe I'm very lucky, but I can't say I've ever had like a truly seriously negative LGS experience anywhere. And like, I know not all stores are created equal and like in in certain communities that have several, like you're going to pick your favorite, either it's because of the community or the proximity, but like... I don't know, the years that I've been playing Magic and, like, trying to get out there and, like, try different shops out, I've had a pretty good go of it. Like, across cities, across stores in Chicago, like, we've cultivated a pretty nice community, I think, as as Magic players at large. Yeah, I would agree. All right. Well, that wraps up this week's show with the surprise guest appearance from The Godfather, Dave Harbarger. I'm glad you were here, Dave. Me too. It's always, it would have been weird to do a week without a show. Yeah. You know, I didn't formally introduce you at the top of the episode, so I hope the listeners realized who you were. <laughs> this is your first episode. Yeah. Uh, keep Listen to some back catalog. Yeah. Excited for next week. It's the big 95. Shane and I were talking about, like, that's the big one. And the best way to hear that when it comes out is to subscribe to our podcast. Get all the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Also, if you use Apple Podcasts, consider leaving us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast... Pick our brain on something in magic, modern, pioneer, life. Tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so via our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. We've got FNMs up and running. We'll have another one the day this episode comes out. Maybe, just maybe, you can get into it if you become a patron first thing Friday morning. Mm-hmm. You'll have to talk to Ben, our tournament organizer. I'm actually going to play in this one, I think. You can also support the show while getting better at Magic and playing MTGO with a Mana Trader subscription. Thanks to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. If you sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the Dive Down, all one word, you will get 15% off your first three months of a rental subscription. So check that out. We're big fans of it, have been since before we were sponsored. Can't recommend it highly enough. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and stay tuned for episode 95 to find out. Baby, we're recording a podcast tonight. Tana, baby, what's that smell? Tanner, if we don't have an outtake this week, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>